listening to Doing Law Differently, a podcast that explores how leaders in law are thinking outside the box and challenging the status quo. Join me, Lucy Dickens, as we discover how the world's most progressive law firms and law companies are doing law differently. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Doing Law Differently. I'm your host, Lucy Dickens. Today, I'm joined by Janelle Karras, who is a principal of Helix Legal, a new law firm she founded in 2016 to create an alternative legal solution for the construction industry. Janelle believes that technology and innovation help lawyers to come alive again. She's experimented with a variety of online platforms, project planning methods, flexible working models, pricing models, and hierarchy less management techniques to achieve this goal. But that's not all there is to know about Janelle. She's also a mother of twin boys and describes herself as an Instagram addict. I decided to speak to Janelle about her five new breed rules that are the five rules that they've developed to govern the way that their firm operates. And that was a really interesting conversation. You'll hear the five rules throughout the interview. But we did have a small sidetrack in the middle where we had a small chat about Janelle's career progression and how she shifted from a big law mindset and completely shifted that to take a new law approach with her new business. She speaks about the learning journey and about the importance of being human and acknowledging the human within the profession, which is really interesting. And I'm so glad we sidetracked and had that little conversation before we came back into Rule 4. So enjoy. Welcome, Janelle. Thank you very much. What an introduction. <laughs> I am addicted to Instagram, I have to say. Oh, good. Yeah, aren't we all? It's a good place to hang out. So, <laughs> I thought we'd do something a little different today. And I normally spend some time diving deep into two or three of the things that make the firms I speak to different. But at Helix, you have what I would call a manifesto, but what you call new breed rules, which is probably a, a more fun name. And there are five of those. So I thought we could work through those. And that's going to give us a good insight into how things work over there. Sounds fabulous. So rule number one is do not live and die by the billable hour. That is something that I actually feel really passionate about on a personal level and is one of the foundations of building Helix Legal to start off with. I think that the billable hour model is a little broken. I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of practices, especially within larger law firms, that focus too much on that, both as the measure of success and, you know, building what is provided to clients around the billable hour rather than giving clients what they want or what they need. And part of our philosophy also is that sometimes the solution for the client isn't always the strict legal answer. Sometimes there's a commercial solution or there's something that they need from their lawyer that's a little bit more outside the box than a 10-page legal advice about the particular situation that they're in Mm. and so by not focusing on the billable hour I think that frees us up to focus more on the client and focus more on the humans that work within the practice. So when we first started out we completely threw the billable hour out the window and didn't offer it to any clients whatsoever. We're coming up to our third birthday and I've adjusted that approach to really suit the client so focusing on what the client wants and delivering that 
is how you deliver differently. So for the most part, still, you know, 90% of the work that we would deliver is done without the assistance of the billable hour. But then there is a set of our clients who really need that for their internal purposes and for their reporting requirements. And so when you're working with a a big giant beast of a client, (laughs) it's very difficult to say to them, well, you need to change the way you do business in order to do business with us. So that's been an eye-opener for me that it's important to stay true to your values and to approach the execution phase of developing a law firm with those values still ringing true, but also to be adaptive to what the Mm. client needs and and what's important to them without having it change completely the way that we do business. So we don't live and die by the billable hour. The measures of success for the lawyers that work within the firm isn't contingent upon the billable hour. We use it on occasion to be able to have a toe in the water or a look at how our fixed pricing is going and whether we're moving away from being cost effective. So are you still recording time? No, we will record time. So we've just come off the back of a month where the whole firm has recorded time. So we'll do it intermittently to be able to... And that's how you then track your fixed price. Test our pricing, yeah. So in the beginning, there was only three of us within the business. So obviously, it's a lot easier to be able to track the profitability of work when you're not using the billable hour if you've only got a limited number of people within the Mm. firm. So as the firm has grown, we're across three offices now in Cairns and Townsville and Brisbane, really had to develop new ways of ensuring that our pricing is in accordance with market and also that it's profitable work. So doing this kind of testing or measuring of the time that everybody in the business is spending, not just the solicitors, gives me a measure to be able to go back and look at our pricing and look how we're going with it. What other kind of metrics do you look at when you're assessing the profitability of your fixed price? So obviously time is one of them. What else goes into that? We work really closely with our accountants. So they have been um, involved in our journey since before we even started Helix and have really helped us to set out a framework that defines the measures of success within the firm because we do do things quite differently. So our ability to recover and not carry whip is something that is really valuable within the firm. So there is never a time where we're sitting on a, a bank up of whip or you know, that kind of value sitting within the firm as soon as what we have said we're going to do is done, we bill it and then our terms are 14 days. And because we deliver and then we bill and we bill for exactly the amount of money that we've said that we will, our debtor situation is pretty much non-existent. So even in the three-year history of the firm, uh, we've had a really good control of our cash flow, which I think is reflective of the approach that we have to the upfront pricing means that we don't wait to be paid, which in the first three years of a business is vitally important. 
Yeah, well, in all stages of business, isn't it? I mean, it makes a big difference if people know what to expect when they receive your bill. They can budget for it and they can allow for it. So fixed fee is one of the ways that you bill, but I understand you also use retainers. Yes, that involves working out with the client, say, in the construction industry. Sometimes, unfortunately, things can happen on a job in that it becomes um, delayed, it's behind schedule, um, there can be a bank up of variation claims that have been unpaid. And usually a construction contractor might actually sit on those things until the end of a project and not really doing it, do much about trying to resolve it until right at the end. So So what we do is come in on a project where there might be difficulties and really help guide the project towards getting to its conclusion and kind of stay in the background without, I've heard people talk about lawyering up and, you know, the difference that that can make on a project after everyone knows that lawyers are involved and how it can really take a turn. So we kind of come in to guide more than to stir up the hornet's nest. (laughs) And so we do that on a retainer basis where we'll come in for a project and there'll be a fixed amount per month and a fixed scope that we'll provide in accordance with that. There's also clients where we provide a service where essentially we're an external in-house counsel in that if they've got troubleshooting issues that come up within the business, we'll service that on a retainer basis Mm. as well. And then we project plan arbitration and adjudication work as well, which is exists a lot in the construction industry. So we'll look at the problem that the client has or the proceeding that the client has and we'll scope out the work the same as what they will if they're going to build a skyscraper or, you know, you know that you have to build the base level and then there's a process. Well, it's the same with us as lawyers. There's a process to follow through. And so we map out that process and price up that process. So the client understands that, say, for them, if they put a slab down, once the slab is down, they say, okay, um, well, the slab feed you. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And so that kind of same concept we adopt. We yeah. go, okay, well, this is the slab. This is the work that we said that we would do. So now we want to be paid for the slab and we'll move on to the next phase of putting the frame up. And so it's a concept that the construction industry that we work with has really embraced and understood and been happy to follow through. And it's really from talking to the clients before we started Helix that we ended up with this process because they wanted something that gave them more security about, well, if I am going to engage you, what really is the exposure from a legal cost perspective that I'm going to have? And even in-house counsel that we deal with, you know, when you say to the board, well, we're going to try to chase this $2 million and it's going to cost us $50,000, a lot of the time that cost can blow out. And so that general counsel and house counselors having to go to the board and say, oh, well, we thought it would cost 50, but it's actually cost 300,000. Yeah. And so we want to take that risk away from the in-house lawyers that we deal with and say, when you tell the business this is how much it's going to cost, that's exactly what it's going to be. I imagine that the parallels between the way that you're billing your clients and the way that they bill their clients makes it a lot easier for you to explain your pricing methods, but also to explain variations. That's something that can be a bit touchy when clients are given a fixed price and they expect that it includes everything, even when it's been nicely and properly scoped and all the rest of it, sometimes a a variation kind of, you know, throws them a bit. But I imagine with your clients, they're doing that with theirs as well. So that's going to help them to understand. 
Absolutely. By transferring this whole lawyer, how they build, what they do thing from being, you know, this list of things that are done, including phone calls and talking to each other and, you know, <laughs> this whole thing that they don't really understand and using words that mean something to us but don't really mean anything to them, changing that whole process to be something that is completely consistent with their world and the way that they deal with clients means that we don't have any problems with, well, you know, this is outside scope because they understand that that happens to them as well. Mm. You know, that's Mm. outside scope, so that's extra money. And because we spend so much time up front understanding what their problem is and scoping out the strategy and the price, we've really had a much more enhanced level of communication with them at the outset, which means that they've understood exactly what we're going to do, what we're going to deliver and how much it's going to cost. And so those conversations become so much easier. And the conversation around money and pricing is a conversation that we have from the start, which makes every other conversation that you have after that so much easier because it's just part and parcel of the discussion about what you're actually doing for them. So... Absolutely. I can see from your explanation of rule number one that you've touched on almost all of the other rules that you've got in your five (laughs) new breed rules. And that says to me why it's so important. And it's interesting. I have had this conversation a few times already on this podcast, and this is only episode seven. And that is about how what seems to be a smallish tweak in changing the way you price your services actually changes your entire business model. So let's talk about number two. Could not agree more. Yeah. So rule number two is use technology to drive excellent client solutions. So what technology are you using? I am a member of the Australian Legal Technology Association. So they had their first um, conference very recently, which means I've met a lot of really great legal tech startups that are emerging in the industry. So just a couple of the products that we use are LawSwitch. So we've got a great relationship with them. We're loving using their stuff and getting our intellectual property and marrying it up with the product that they have to create something that's unique for our business. And I think that's where the true value of technology comes, where you have a provider like LawSwitch who has a product, but really the magic of it happens when a law firm like mine is willing to invest their intellectual property and their knowledge into really developing it and making it into something that is really beneficial for clients. Another product that we use that's really gaining traction in Australia is a product called Pros. So we use that to be able to create and build our contracts because more and more firms like mine that are boutique for the construction industry have competitors coming into the market that aren't traditional law firms. And so the scope or the breadth of what I have to compete with as a firm is so much wider than it ever has been before. So if I can use relationships with LawSwitch and with pros to be able to compete in that new market, I think that's really going to set us ahead of the pack for others that don't really have their eyes up to what technology is coming through and what things might be available to either enhance the result for the client, to enhance the experience of the lawyers that are working within the business. Because for me, it's not just about using technology for efficiencies or to be able to make more money. It's about looking at products or inventions that are able to enhance the lawyer's experience of being a lawyer and to make it fun and engaging as well. So that's the kind of things that we look at when we determine if we're going to 
adopt a new technology? Is it going to enhance the lives of the lawyers who are working in my business or enhance my life? And is it going to make a difference for clients? Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree on the point about enhancing the the life for the lawyers and my approach to development we have a software development company within our firm and we build our own practice management software and for me anytime I find myself getting frustrated with work that I have to do that's when I know that there needs to be a change to the software so that I don't have to feel this frustration anymore and it's exactly that it's you want people to be focused on work that they enjoy doing that they're good at that uses the right pieces of their brain not just the boring admin stuff that can be automated or delegated or even just got rid of. Absolutely. Let's go to rule number three, which is build business assets that benefit our clients. So tell me about this. What does this mean? So that really matches in with rule two. I guess similar to you, we have an incorporated legal practice, but we also have Helix Innovation Solutions where if we see something where there is an asset or an idea for something that we think could have real benefit to our client base, we'll look at working on that and developing that within Helix Innovation Solutions. Can you give me an example? For example, there's a product called Law Lancer. So it started out within um, Helix Legal. It was a model really within Helix and Innovation where we used digital platforms to be able to connect with freelance lawyers so that we could scale up the base of lawyers that we had within the business to be able to service larger matters. So within the first couple of months of opening Helix, we got a gig working for a German client on an international arbitration. And at that time, I had two practicing certificate holders in the entire business. So we had this giant matter that we needed to service. So we came up with this idea that it would be great if there was somewhere where you could go, where you could either get access to a pool of talented lawyers or pool of talented research clerks, which is what Law Lancer has developed into, um, where you could go and find talent who you could bring into the business quickly and easily to be able to help you to service work. So that was an idea that was born out of Helix Legal. That was then the way that we do business similar to what you said, where you see pain point yourself and find a solution um, and moved into Helix Innovation Solutions. And now it's a complete um, product of its own where we're able to secure um, support from the Queensland government. They gave us $100,000 to keep going with the project, which was amazing. So we're now looking at launching a product whereby other law firms of our size would be able to use the Law Lancer platform to be able to um, do exactly as we have done within Helix Legal. That's fantastic. Now, this is a question that I have to ask you, and it's how do you organize your time between these different things? See, what I'm seeing here is a real focus on innovation and development and how can I do things better? How do you balance that out with doing the work? Sometimes successfully, sometimes very unsuccessfully. Some weeks I feel like... (laughs) I love the honesty. I just from fire to fire and I do what needs to be done in a day. And if I haven't got to something to beg for forgiveness, and it's usually my poor husband that I have to beg for forgiveness because I essentially run two businesses. And so it does take up a lot of my time. I have a wonderful, very understanding husband and some weeks are more challenging than others. But I try to 
so Tuesday nights and Thursday nights I spend on Law Lancer, which is the legal tech product that I'm working on. During the day is Helix Legal, so there's quite a few staff and clients, obviously, that I support there. We have had a good kind of boost in work, which has been absolutely amazing, but it means that I'm a lot on the tools, supervising the actual legal work as well. So it is a real challenge, but it makes me so excited. Yeah, I sense you thrive on being busy and having lots of things on the go. Yeah, I've always (laughs) been a bit of a crazy person like that. And I feel like now everything that I'm investing in and everything that I'm doing is about building something different and exciting and really changing things because I really feel like lawyers have accepted to some extent that there is just a little bit of misery in the careers that we've chosen and that because of the way that the law is set up, we have to sacrifice the other things that we want in our life or we have to let go of that entrepreneurial spirit or we need to not be as empathetic or connected because we need to be very serious and strict about what we do. So I feel like we can still be really excellent lawyers and very intelligent and come up with amazing solutions, but we can do it in a really human way and that Mm -hmm. that's better for the people within the law, but it's also better for the clients. Absolutely. I have excellent connections with our clients where they feel like, you know, we're genuinely interested and invested in their business and which we are. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's exactly because you are. I agree completely. I think some people, when I say those kinds of things, think it's a bit idealistic, but I don't think it's idealistic. I think we're living our own lives and we make them however we want them to be. So if we want to live and work in the kind of firm that you're building, then that's what we will create for ourselves. We've gone off track, but it's interesting. Yeah, it is. And I think it's hard to understand when you're still in the infrastructure of a much more traditional law firm. So if I look back at myself maybe five years ago, having someone talk to me in the way that I talk about practicing law and the passion and excitement and the way that I do business, I would have thought that that person was a bit crazy and that within (laughs) being a lawyer that's just not possible and so in building Helix and talking to wonderful people like you I, I really want people to see that it is possible and that you don't just have to accept that that's the way that it is. So how did you change your mindset then? Because I think a lot of people listening to this are those who are sort of on the cusp, thinking about changing, but perhaps aren't doing things quite how they want to be or unsure how to get there. So how did you go from thinking, no, that's idealistic, that's not realistic within law, you're a little bit crazy, to becoming one of those crazy people? (laughs) I think it's that one decision where you decide to leave the security of what you've already built. Mm -hmm. I was an equity partner in a national law firm and I had pushed so hard my entire career to get promoted as quickly as possible. I was a partner at 30. I was the first female partner that they had in the office that I was in. Um, You know, I, I pushed really hard to climb the ladder as quickly as possible and always wanted that next rung of what the career progression was and to get to that spot and then decide 
this is amazing and don't get me wrong, I worked very hard for what I had and I valued what I had. But to then go, well, this isn't where I want the next 20 years of my life to be or to be crazy enough or I don't know what you call it, but to go, (laughs) I think I can do this better or I want better for myself and I want better for the people that work for me. And when you're in a big firm, you know, there is only so many things that you can change and things take it much longer to change. And that's not to cast dispersions on what is already there, but it's just a practical reality that when you have a giant beast like that, that it takes a lot longer to, to, yeah. yeah, And it's just a reality. So how then did you go, how did, what did your learning journey look like? You did a lot of thinking and planning. What did the learning look like as part of that? Where did you go? Who did you engage? Who did you speak to? So from a client perspective, I had always run my practice a little differently, even within the bigger firm to the other partners in that I'd run retainers and different billing models kind of under the radar of the (laughs) existing infrastructure. I love that. Um, And very successfully as well. So I think like I was allowed to continue to do things a little differently or the way that I was doing them because it was profitable and it did work. And so I'd had that kind of six years of running my own practice, but, you know, looking back with a huge safety net of security because of everything that was around me and certainly it's hugely different level of risk and feeling of security between being in a larger firm and actually building something from scratch and so spoke to clients a lot about the way that they interacted with lawyers and what they expected from their lawyers I've always been a big kind of networker and speaker and like to get out there and do things and so that was really beneficial as well I'm also like all lawyers a big nerd researcher so I read every article followed a lot of people on LinkedIn and read and listened to as many things as I could I and I heard Clarissa Raywood interviewed on a dent podcast yes uh, while I was still at the larger firm and I just can remember a moment listening to that podcast where I thought oh my god like there's someone else out there that thinks that that's just not acceptable that lawyers can be happy and that you can still be an amazing business person and run a really profitable practice and still value happiness and it's not a weakness it's actually something that is really positive and joyful and but then also it's not giving up on that kind of corporate mind that I have also like I still run a very profitable business and I still want to build an amazing empire but not at the expense of the people that work with it in me yeah you just want to do it in a more human way yeah that's right absolutely now let's come back to these rules we've got two more rule number four use the best talent for the client's project now this is one that you touched on before and I know you've got a multidisciplinary team who comprise people from a number of different professions, not just lawyers. So tell us about your team. So part of, again, what I spoke about before is that sometimes the solution for the client's issue isn't necessarily the strict 
legal solutions. So say, for example, we have a professional who works within our business who worked at the Queensland regulator for the construction industry for 22 years. So he obviously has an insight and an experience that's different to a lot of the lawyers that work within the business. So say, for example, a lot of the lawyers will have experience in making applications to the tribunal in relation to license suspensions and license cancellations. So the functionality of the actual law of it, we've got mountains of expertise in. But what happens internally within the regulator before that and how that whole process works and the decisions that are made, someone who lived that for a decade of their life has obviously a totally different insight and a totally different perspective to lawyers who see it at the other end. And so the value that the client gets from that person who spent 22 years within the regulator and the person who spent a decade doing the legal work that matches in with that, you know, bringing those two brains together and the things that are able to be resolved is so much more valuable to clients than if you just had the lawyer who's looking at the strict legal solution. So that kind of collaboration and focus on the solution is what makes us really different and really gets to the point where we're achieving positive outcomes for clients and coming up with a solution that fits their business rather than, you know, well, let's just go to the tribunal and challenge it or, you know, let's just get into a fight with the regulator. So the best talent for the project is about that collaboration, but then also our ability to scale and bring in from our network of connections the right people for the job. So in that arbitration that I was talking about, we were able to bring in a freelancer who was doing his PhD in international arbitration in Paris at the time that we were running the matter. So he came in for a period of time and was able to assist us. And the value that that bought for the client that The matter was Queensland-based, so it was Queensland law that we were right across, but bringing that extra level of someone who had a really deep kind of off the back of... Doing a PhD. It benefits the clients, but it benefits you too because your team get the benefit of working with that person and sharing in their, their knowledge and expertise. Yeah, it was really valuable from both the our perspective and from the client's perspective. So speaking of collaboration then, that's your last rule, rule number five, which is forget the corner office and embrace real collaboration. Now, I understand this rule is about your team. Am I right? The way your team work together. That's right. The environment that you put people in, as well as the infrastructure that you give them to do their job, is how you achieve the outcomes of what you want. So if you want a high level of collaboration between your junior lawyers and your senior lawyers, you can't put them in boxes at opposite ends and have them email each other about issues. We have the junior lawyers and the senior lawyers in together. So my second year can hear me on the phone to the client, the way that I speak to colleagues, the way that I speak to clients, we can have a conversation really quickly and really easily about how a matter's going. People ask me, you know, how do you keep a finger on what's going on? I can hear it every day in the buzz in the room of who's doing what, what's happening, what progress is being made. 
and moving away from a everyone in their box approach to the way we interact with each other every day matches in with all of the other rules and makes all of the other rules able to be executed on. So we work out of a co-working space, but people have in their minds that, you know, we're just in this kind of open space with all of these other businesses. Um, Co-working has really developed and evolved to be a kind of space where lawyers can be and there are other law firms in our offices here in Brisbane in WeWork, mm. there's at least three other law firms in with us here. So it's more, I think, connected with the old concept of serviced office space. So you can imagine the offices that we have here are the same kind of size and the same kind of services as what you, you'd get down on Eagle Street here in Brisbane, but it's just a different philosophy or... And they're also really cool and trendy offices, so you're in a nice place to be. Wow. And the, the, so there's that. the younger staff um, really love that aspect of it, you know, the the roof space and there's internet up there as well and there's hit classes and yoga classes and barista coffee and all of that kind of stuff, which... All of the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So how did you come up with these five new breed rules? Again, in the preparation for thinking about what the firm would be, we decided that we needed to be very defined about what we were trying to do and why we were trying to do it. Because even in the early days, a lot of the service providers that we spoke to had a very traditional sense of what a law firm should be. And so the things that they were offering us were trying to push us back into the box of what a traditional law firm is so unless you're really clear on what your strategy is what your objectives are what your goals are from the outset especially in law it's really easy for external forces to kind of push you back into the box because that's that they're used to dealing with law firms in that way so going through doing a business plan coming up with goals and and working around these rules has really made us more purposeful about the decisions that we've made over the last three years about where the business is headed um, what we're going to take on and not take on and trying to stay true to the purpose I always go well you know if we were going to make that decision that's going to move away from these rules that I might as well have stayed where I was because there was nothing wrong with that it was awesome but it's these five rules that I believe in that really means that law can be done differently and if we can stay true to those things then it will have been worth walking away from what I walked away from yeah and I imagine it would help you when you start to question yourself you know something doesn't quite go to plan and you think oh are we really doing this right or if someone else is questioning you or suggesting that you be doing things in a more traditional way then you can come back to this and it's going to help to kind of guide you my last question for you Janelle is what is the advice that you would give to someone who's working in a traditional practice and wants to move towards more of a new law model Be brave. I think when I let go of what people might think of me, um, that that was a real turning point for me. And then now if people 
think I am crazy or, you know, why would you ever work that hard and then go and start again? I just don't care anymore what those people think of me. And I am so happy and so excited about what the future of Helix is. And I feel invigorated to come to work every day. The humans that I have around me and the suppliers that we work with, the staff, all of my colleagues, you know, I really enjoy them as people and I enjoy working. And I think that the legal profession undervalues that don't it's not a cop out to want to be happy and it's not <laughs> abandoning that fighter in you or that you know I'm a construction industry litigator and that's always going to be the case but but you can be happy while doing it yeah in choosing that as my career and in being good at that that doesn't mean that I'm just willing to sit back and accept that the infrastructure of law means that I just have to live my life in this particular way. I just, that's just not acceptable to me. I love your passion and enthusiasm for all of the things we've spoken about. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So that's all from Doing Law Differently today. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, I'd love it if you could leave a rating and review on iTunes. It makes a big difference because it really helps other people to find out about the show. And lastly, if you or someone who you know is doing law differently, then send them my way at doinglawdifferently.com.au forward slash guest. I'd love to have as much variety on the show as possible. So do send them over. See you next week. You've been listening to the Doing Law Differently podcast. Visit doinglawdifferently.com.au